Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the 101 episode of the Critic Circle right here on Radio Brave. I'm your host, Travis Lemons, and joining me in studio, we have James Cole Clay of Fresh Fiction and Donna Copeland of Texas Art and Film and Dr. Donna's Movie Reviews. Uh, the Critic Circle is brought to you each and every week, well, mostly each and every week, by the uh, Houston Film Critic Society, and is sponsored by Leonard Courtright of Allied Siding and Windows. And doing his thing on the switcher, we have Bobby, the world's tallest producer, Duncan. We have a lot to discuss on today's episode, including a new film by your barista's favorite filmmaker, Wes Anderson, Isle of Dogs, as well as a beef that Steven Spielberg has with Netflix. And speaking of Steven Spielberg, our first film we're going to discuss on today's episode, Ready Player One. Now, this is based off the best-selling novel by Ernest Cline. came out in 2011, and this has been a project that Steven Spielberg has been working on for the better part of three years. He actually made the film prior to making the Oscar-nominated film The Post, starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And essentially what it is... When the creator of a virtual reality called the Oasis dies, he releases a video to challenge users to find his Easter egg and to gain fame and fortune. This is the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. You can do anything. Be anyone. Without going anywhere at all. The Oasis was created by James Halliday. And what he left behind changed everything. A contest. Three impossible challenges. The first to finish gets complete control of the Oasis, which means complete control of the future. The contest has got to be about connecting with someone, connecting with the world. So we take it together? Sure. <laughs> so right at the end, we have heard a little bit of AHA with Take On Me, which is James Halliday, the creator of the Oasis, favorite uh, music video by AHA. And the film, I think purists of the book will not like the film because it does not stay true to the narrative in the novel. Because mm -hmm. to be honest, there's no way you could re replicate the novel in cinema form because there's too many references to pop culture and in fact like one of the challenges uh, the hero Wade Watts played by Ty Sheridan if you were to do it it would basically be going through the entire movie War Games starring Matthew Broderick <laughs> and Ali Sheedy but uh, I, I actually watched this again last night on IMAX 3D oh, and nice. I had a blast watching it again yeah mm -hmm. it, it is fun and you look at it and it just like when the trailers came out you know i thought that and i was familiar with the book pretty well familiar with it um the book is just pop culture vomit it's not it's <laughs> terrible it's a terrible book in my opinion but the film if it didn't have steven spielberg it would be mm. this film would not work at all and it does work and it's fun and no i've we saw it on tuesday and I've been thinking about it more and more, not necessarily thematically, but, you know, like we have written here, it's very escapist. And there's also some pretty good, very exciting visuals to look at and um, a good cast. Um, not a perfect film. Definitely has its problems. It's too long. But I, I really um, enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. 
I enjoyed this film. Uh, It's primarily aimed toward fantasy enthusiasts who will revel in the special effects. Unfortunately for me, most of the action is like a video game with car chases and fights and wars, which is not my favorite thing. I did enjoy what story is there about a race between the little guy and a corrupt corporation, both vying to see who can decipher uh, the clues left by a master gamer, masterfully played by Mark oh, Rylance. the great Mark Rylance. <laughs> the scenes switch back and forth between virtual reality and real worlds, which heightens the fear factor when you realize that what happens in VR can affect people and events in the real world and I, I that hasn't been entertained too much has it that idea that it can influence the real world if you lose your coin you actually lose it in real life is that what you're saying like the the, the achievements and everything that you've gotten mm-hmm. inside it's like the you have to go back to square one yeah it's mm-hmm. like do not pass goes and not collect 200 that's horrible <laughs> that would be horrible one thing i wanted to mention is that adam stockhausen who did the production design for both this film and isle of dogs uh back to back he did them um, and the common denominator, he said, between the two movies was to make both of them seem real. Um, all the sets were built by hand in Isle of Dogs. And for both films, they had to build virtual world sets as well as real ones. And even more challenging was getting the sets for so many movie references. Both of them have lots of other movie references. And get those to mesh with the visual world sets. When you try to think about how that's done it is pretty amazing i i want to know the story of the lawyers for warner brothers and trying to license you know oh, characters right. from other properties mm-hmm. to get in their films that and, took a fair amount of time and like steven spielberg i mean he could pr- get almost everything he wanted but he couldn't get anything from Star Wars. Yeah, they couldn't get anything from Star Wars. But, um, I mean, there's enough to satisfy any fan of pop culture. Um, from The big one, I'm not going to give it away, but there's a big sequence in there from one of Warner Brothers' greatest horror films, I would say. That, that's a Warner Brothers film, I think. That is. Okay, good. I wanted to, I'm so <laughs> glad that I had that correct. Um, but um, for me, I, I'm a pop culture fan. I enjoy Marvel films. I enjoy... Uh, Freddy Krueger, Chucky, I enjoy these things. Um, seeing them on screen for me, you can still enjoy the film um, without either getting those references right. um, or um, really appreciating. Like to me, it's it's just like sprinkles on top of you know mm-hmm. on top of a donut essentially, and and that's fine. Um, you know, there, he uses the DeLorean quite well in the <laughs> film. Um, I, I find that fun. I don't really care a lot for the fan service of it, right. but I. I love Back to the Future. I can't. I can't lie. But um, to me, it, it used them well enough and made it really fun. There, there's a a race scene that is probably my favorite um, point of the film. <laughs> uh, I, I can. I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's they use King Kong, and I found that just breathtakingly beautiful. The way that he moved and um, the way that the action was choreographed in that mm-hmm. scene was. There's some really great choreography, I think, in some of these set pieces. Well, I was impressed with Steven Spielberg making sure that none of his movies were mm-hmm. referenced. I thought, what yeah, modesty. That a, That's there's amazing. a T-Rex in it, though. And they, his, his crew tried to sneak things <laughs> okay, in. Okay. And he would, even in the editing, he found something and took it out that somebody had put in sneakily. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he made a conscious decision that he didn't want any of his works referenced 
in the movie and that think that's very uh, honorable of mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg and I mean Steven Spielberg you know love him or hate him he's the one that pretty much jump-started the whole escapism totally with Jaws and he hasn't had a movie like this I think since I'm not going to include Indiana Jones and in the Kingdom yeah of the please Crystal don't Skull, but like <laughs> horrible probably Minority Report. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, maybe that was a really fun movie, but that movie had some, you know, both of those films, Ready Player One and Minority Report, both have like some thematic meat to them, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, more so um, Minority Report. Ready Player One does some stuff. I didn't really latch onto it, but I think people will. People who play games and people who have problems um, Mm -hmm. being in reality. I certainly have problems being in reality as many movies as I watch. Um, So, I mean, certainly there's some parallels there, but, you know, it it works. I mean, it makes some very good points. you know about the way the world is and wanting to escape and then realizing that you know sometimes you know we need to go back to reality because as James Halliday says is that in reality you it's the only place you can get a a good meal (laughs) 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 oh yeah so I mean like Mark you talk you mentioned Mark Rylance do you guys um, like the cast they really grew on me quite a bit I I did and um, Who's the lead? Ty Sheridan? Ty Sheridan is getting high marks. And Olivia Cook, too. Yeah. Both of them are really strong points of the movie. I, yeah. Who were you, did you um, have any like highlights in the cast or anything like that? Or do you think that the leads like handled it that well? Because it has a good supporting cast. That's what I'm kind of getting at. I always like Ben Mendelsohn. Yes. Oh, yes. Because like, when I look of at course. his character, he plays like the chief villain, uh-huh. Nolan Sorrento. The way he acts, it's like I always picture <laughs> Principal, Principal Vernon from The Breakfast Club because that's how he is and that's how he wants to control things. It's like he's the boss and he doesn't like, you know, the dreamers. Like it, the scene in The Breakfast Club where he's talking to the gender and he's like, uh, so what did you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be John Lydon. <laughs> but he's very subtle because he'll come across as very charming and you only recognize the sinister part. Oh, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. give him these teeth in the film. They give <laughs> yeah. him these prosthetic teeth that work so well. Um, he's good. Um, I, I think that the movie, um, and maybe they had to. Look, I'm no master storyteller, but they just kept explaining stuff and explaining stuff. And, ex- and I was like, oh, my gosh, can we you know, get to it a little bit? Or sometimes I would kind of, I wouldn't grasp, I, not yeah. necessarily grasp it, but I wouldn't care as much. But You want the whole like, show, don't tell. Uh, I mean, yes, yes and no. I mean, you need it. I understand why they do all that. But um, for me, I, I, what I got out of it was the escapism and the popcorn and the funness of it. Yeah, so if you are definitely looking for some escapism, you cannot go wrong with Ready mm-hmm. Player One. I say it's good for ages. It, you know. It's good. It, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a fun film. It's, a fun, it got, film. it's a fun, fun film. It really is. All right. When we come back on the Critics Circle, the crew and I, we will be discussing Wes Anderson's new stop-motion animated film, Isle of Dogs. And so stay tuned for more Critics Circle right here on Radio Brave. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. 
We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Court writes Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713 Windows, that's 713 Windows. All right, back with more Critic Circle on Radio Brave. Just a reminder, you can find past episodes of the Critic Circle on Google Play Music and iTunes and via the TuneIn app. So, Ready Player One by Steven Spielberg. You know, thinking about the film, I love how, like, the introduction, like, like the credits are not very showy because you would expect... You know, there to be like flamboyant graphics like mm-hmm. you would see at the end of like a Marvel movie. Sure, sure. But it's very straightforward, almost like watching Back to the Future because that didn't have any elaborate uh, an opening except for maybe the logo. Right. But everything else was pretty standard bare. Yeah, yeah, totally. I didn't even really think about that, but it definitely does. And I, and I like that. It's a nice ease in, ease out. It's not, it's like, you know, the show was the film we don't need to have something super flashy letting you out but i will say as far as, as all the references go they could have done with a better 80s inspired soundtrack because you know like guardians of the galaxy it sleeps and bounce above yeah deep cuts, <laughs> deep they, cuts. they put you know yeah they definitely make this one like a jukebox and speaking of deep cuts we have wes anderson he is a native of Houston, if you did not know that listening audience. But uh, he has only made one film in Houston, and that was Rushmore. Uh, the Great Rushmore. The Great Rushmore. Yes. But uh, he has made his second stop-motion animated film called Isle of Dogs. This is a film set in Japan, and the story follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. And along the way, he meets a, I guess you would say a... A pack. A pack of alpha dogs. <laughs> a pack of alpha dogs. And uh, here they are talking about what their favorite food to eat is. Okay, I got a question. What's your favorite food? A double portion of doggy chop from the can mixed into a bowl of broken puppy snaps with a vitamin crushed up into it. King's the spokes dog for that. He's the doggy chop dog. Yeah, used to be. Was that your daily meal? Not always. My master was a school teacher. We weren't rich, you know. You? A center cut Kobe ribeye seared on the bone with salt and pepper. Wow. It was my birthday supper every year. Mine's hot sausage yakitori style. The snack vendor always saved me one on game days. Mm. Duke? Uh, green tea ice cream. My master had a sweet tooth I probably inherited from her. <laughs> you heard the rumor, right, about Doggy Chop? Remind us again. Brand. What rumor? Oh, they folded. Oh, oh no. Mm. Donkey? Doggy Chop folded? How about you, Chief? What was your favorite food? Me? Oh, I don't... Care, garbage, trash, scraps of rubbish. I'm used to leftovers. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wasn't always astray. Wait, what'd you say? I said, of course, I wasn't always astray. Really? really? Tell us about that. So, so that was a, uh, a quick little moment from Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson. Now, this is a film that has gotten a little bit of backlash mm-hmm. recently because of uh, a review written by Justin Chang of Variety where he talks about the cultural appropriation by Wes Anderson when it comes to the Japanese. <laughs> yeah, he still gave it a positive review. It was still a fresh tomato, which was surprising. Yeah, and uh, one of our colleagues of the Houston Film Critics Society, Alan Cern, he's like one of the biggest Wes Anderson fans and he has like Rushmore in his top ten films. The more he thinks about Isle of Dogs, the more he becomes infuriated. I saw that. Yeah, he told me that. 
And, you know, it's understandable because, I mean, you have these dogs that are voiced by, uh, you know, American actors and the the Japanese actors, uh, voice actors in the movie, they speak Japanese, but they are pretty much silenced because of American or English interpretation by mm-hmm. Francis McDormand's character. Which is done really well, too. I mean, Francis McDormand's character is done really mm-hmm. well. It, I mean, it, I, I do like that part, and I understand the criticism at the same time of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's you're taking a voice away from somebody, and, you know, you're making them otherized and everything like that um and you know anyway i'm sorry just keep i just wanted to say prince torment's really good (laughs) well i love this film it's it's quintessential wes anderson and its presentation and its thoughtfulness its beauty and it's fun he really does pack a lot into a movie um and another thing i liked about it it should captivate both children and adults without pandering to either one of them which so many of these movies do Uh, every dog has a personality and personal issues to deal with and suspense is high throughout as to how things are going to turn out Um, And another thing I liked about it is it employs themes of topical relevance today. Government corruption, foreign influences on the government, student protests, and issues related to animal research. Uh, so yeah, I think the movie does. I a, I really love yeah, this I love film. this film. I love it, it's <laughs> and kinda, I wanted to see it again right as while yeah, I was watching it. I can't wait to go see it again. Um, so I mean, it, it's a touchy thing because you know you can still at least from my estimation, understand the criticisms of something, but still love the film in itself. And, and I think it, it I think really behind this, there's been a really good discourse behind, behind all of the cultural appropriation talk. I don't think that Wes Anderson meant anything by it. Oh, um, I, I heard that all of this took him totally by surprise. Totally. It never occurred to him. Nobody said anything while they were filming. Right. Well, look at it like this, because like you know, he's not the only one involved with the story. Right. He, he had help with help with uh, by Roman Coppola, as well as uh, Kunichi Nomura, who is mm-hmm. does the voice of Mayor Kobayashi. Yeah. They had a, a, a Japanese person, the, you the know, helping with that, the writing. The so. retort to that was that I read. Um, well, there was only one Japanese person in the core team, so their voice is overshadowed that's <laughs> that's the argument i heard but, back but it's but still if input, you look at his resume he's only done three films yeah his debut was lost in translation by sofia coppola another film that does the same thing that people are accusing wes exactly. anderson of and he was also in the grand budapest hotel by wes anderson so this is his third and apparently he, he was also he got a credit for uh for casting as well i guess yeah he other. probably helped with the casting and whatnot but you know it, look it's hard to want to enjoy something that has offended and hurt people, but I think it's still a learning process. I don't think that this should be met with anger or any sort of like vitriol or anything like that. But I think it's interesting to hear people's yeah. um, opinions on it. It certainly doesn't make me mad. I, the movie gives me tears of joy just hearing those dogs talk. I mean, dogs are my <laughs> life more than films, and this film executes that perfectly. And you know, and Cranston is as chief i think is one of his is most well wrought characters um very troubled existential things that people worry about uh, you know their place in the world and you know mm-hmm. um their their faults and not yeah. knowing why they do certain things um we all can feel that way and i and i think it's really a beautiful relationship about holding each other up in a way right um, especially when he shares a memory of his first master and he doesn't understand why he went to 
bite. Mm-hmm. And right. that's such a yeah. great story that he tells. That's like, yeah, it's like some. It just happened, and I don't know why. That's another thing that Wes Anderson is so good at in, is in telling stories that have real meaning to yeah. them. So he just adds these all the time. It's His films really deal a lot with abandonment and um, becoming disaffected by that abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Rushmore, you know, he loses his mother. In this one, he loses his owner. Um, Real Tenenbaums and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. It's the dissolution of a family. And, there, you know, yes, there are these charming little films. Um, I, I heard Travis quoting... Um, Quoting uh, an Honest Trailers video <laughs> that's on uh, YouTube for Wes Anderson films that is absolutely astounding. Anybody who's seen a Wes Anderson movie should, if you already haven't, I know a lot of film fans love that, but um, Honest Trailers, Wes Anderson, I mean, Donna, it's <laughs> it, it's hilarious. It's like a seven-minute montage, yeah. and it cramps like almost everything Wes Anderson into that seven-minute oh, wow. package. Oh, I need to uh, see you know, that. I, and, you know, we were kind of talking about what they did um, – to make this trash island beautiful and there's a lot of like sharp lighting there's not a lot Mm -hmm. of dim stuff most we see is in the daytime and you're able to see every single bit of these characters and it's not shrouded or anything like Mm -hmm. that and you just marvel in how much is going on on screen. Yeah. It's Another thing we need to bring up, you and I talked about it during the movie, is Alexandra Desplat's music yes. and the sound effects all being seamlessly integrated they, together. Don't they just seem so organic? It was like, it, yeah, it was it's an crazy. orchestra playing. Yeah, it seems like it's playing, like, you know, maybe not right there, but just like the Foley work that they do, the sounds that they put in, um, every knock that you hear, every growl, mm-hmm. every. Um, Every sneeze that works as an interrupter in the mm-hmm. film, uh, and the music contributes. It, it to really, it, it really contributes um, everything to it. Um, and I, you know, if for the thing is, is this film made me feel really happy, very overjoyed about life in general. Um, and I'm not going to discount that. And it's a really beautiful feeling for me that I don't feel very often. Um, maybe it just as I uh, go through years of film criticism, I'm becoming softer rather than harder, which yeah. is kind of weird because I, I, I came <laughs> into the film criticism game being very, and then now I'm just kind of weepy and um, it's really beautiful. I like it. And this, just listen to those dogs talk. I just want to just like, it, it just makes me feel so emotional and overjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the it's acting. It's a feel that they good do, film. It, I it's, think. And yeah. As his mostly are, you always go out of his movies just, happy you do even <laughs> if the stuff is the even if the subject matter is dark like mm-hmm. you know the, yeah it's I, not that he avoids the negative things. right i mean a dog's ear is ripped off <laughs> and he says you know your ears ripped off uh, <laughs> eh, whatever <laughs> whatever but i mean you know th- th- it's it's a great film i i really love it and um i, I hope that everybody can like learn and see things that they wouldn't see um before you know with this film and i, I was really excited to be able to watch it and enjoy it for many years to come. I definitely need to give it another watch because I love the, you know, the dogs portion, but the human mm-hmm. story doesn't really mm-hmm. work for me. So maybe yeah. if I watch it again, I'll have greater interest in the human That's the dynamic. Thing. You're right. You know, we didn't really give that short trip and we're yeah. running out of time, but it it's a little awkward it's at little times, awkward, but yes. yeah. All right. When we come back on the Critics Circle, we will be talking A Tale of Two Stevens, Steven Spielberg versus Netflix and Steven Soderbergh's film Unsafe. So stay tuned for more right here on Radio Break. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. 
And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Courtright's Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713-WINDOWS. That's 713-WINDOWS. All right, back on the Critics Circle, we got James Cole Clay, Dr. Donna Copeland, and myself, Travis Lemons. So while we talked Isle of Dogs, we sort of downplayed the human element in the story, but it's almost like a TV sitcom where the Isle of Dogs, the dogs themselves, is the A story, and the humans are the B story in Wes Anderson's <laughs> Isle of Dogs. Uh, something we else did not mention is uh, the language barrier. And when Atari is on the Isle of Dogs, when he talks, he speaks in Japanese, and there's no, uh, no subtitle, subtitle. No, no subtitle translation. We just sort of have to go. But you by know what he's saying, mm-hmm. even so. You have an idea. That was so idea. clever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's something that uh, one of my friends talked about. Like, how come in movies where you know they bring up, uh, they start speaking a language, and they automatically have to have subtitles instead of just you know, going yeah, and, and he mentioned like Black Panther when they're speaking uh, Wakandan, and it's like, why did they need subtitles? You know, why don't they just like you know when they're in their natural homeland? It's like, why not just speak the right national language instead of English? I like that because it doesn't talk down to the audience as much. Right. At least in that case, yeah. uh, specifically, it doesn't. But uh, so that was a little bit of more of Isle of Dogs uh, and more the language and more barrier. Now, A Tale of Two Stevens. Steven Spielberg <laughs> versus Netflix and Steven Soderbergh's Unsafe. The reason why I paired these two together is they sort of have a correlation, and we'll get to it as the discussion uh, goes on. But Steven Spielberg versus Netflix. So Steven Spielberg, while he was doing press for Ready Player One, he had some things to say about Netflix, saying that... Uh, they should not be eligible for Oscars just because they meet the minimum requirement for Oscar uh, eligibility, which is basically to play uh, a limited time in what is seven it like months, seven yeah. seven days? In yeah, the- seven days in New York or L.A. I yeah. think maybe just maybe just L.A., but at least a week there. So he basically considers them TV movies. I mean, I do too. I, I totally do too. I mean, you know, there's there's a few differences. Um, But he also gives the other side of it. He says the studios, in a way, are doing it to themselves by only going for tentpole movies, Mm -hmm. sequels, and franchises, Mm -hmm. and neglecting the smaller, riskier, artistic films. Yeah, but the thing is, is like they say that, and like they're saying, oh, they're the middle movies. But you have studios like A24. There are movies like Lady Bird. There are movies like Get Out that got made. Um, but he's worried that's not going to last. Well, we'll have to see. I have I, no I, idea, I, I, I'm not super worried about that. I know more people want to watch stuff on TV, of course, and I get it. But those are, you know, like there were movie of the weeks all the time in the 80s and the 90s. And 70s, those are pretty 80s. much gone. They're pretty much gone. And some of them were really big films that people know. The 
th- I don't know why I'm jumping to this, but John Travolta's Boy in the Bubble was a big mm-hmm. movie. That was big. There was one with Linda Blair where she's like a teenage alcoholic. That's really big. I mean, these movies like they have their place, and that's fine. But even a really good Netflix movie, um, some of them are bigger, like your Okjas or your um, Beast of No Nation, that are really excellent films. But then there's some of them that go one ear and out the other, and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. But don't pretend like you're a real movie. Like don't. I mean, that, <laughs> I, I don't know. Call you can say I'm. Uh, you know, like being grumpy about it but but it's hard to say what's going to happen because netflix i guess has 80 films that they plan to bring out in 2018 and they already (laughs) have the rights to martin scorsese hundred million dollar irish and that's an exception to the rule that's an outlier from my opinion like that that may be a trend yeah yeah no definitely and they want to break into the blockbusters you know they had bright with will smith which was (laughs) <laughs> not good <laughs> they did the Cloverfield film right after the Super Bowl that was horrible but you see Paramount owned that film and they were dumping it so I mean I'm totally with Spielberg it, it is a TV movie I mean there's you know there's a lot of romantic comedies that pop up on Netflix and they're some of them are enjoyable but they're it's a TV movie don't pretend like it is something that actually needs to be seen on a big screen like these movies they they're they're candy and they're just thrown on there just like a fire hose of content and that's fine but but they're just getting started. They're just getting started. And mm-hmm. and I, I feel like it's great that Spielberg spoke up on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great. Someone needed to. He's one of the most powerful people in media. But so. when you also think about Spielberg, you know, he, he talks about the whole blockbuster mentality. Right. It's like, well, he was responsible for that yeah. with Jaws. He's then, the one that did it. <laughs> he's he, the one that did it. He's the one that did it. But damn, did he do it well. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, he's kind of – but the thing is, is – you know, his film The Post did quite well, and that was not – that's a very small film. I mean, for his standards. For his yeah. standards. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and that movie made close to $100 million. So I, I think that there's a place for it all. I think that the 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 landscape is just in flux, and people don't – it's scary for people. I hope that it all works out so that we still get the small <laughs> independent films. We do. Films we will. We will. More artistic. I think we will. I, I don't think As long as there is Fox Searchlight and 824 getting these films from mm-hmm. the festival circuit, you yeah. know, and not Netflix, uh, they yeah. will definitely have uh, – play in theaters and even amazon studios they play the theatrical yep. game because they yep. had like the big sick and, and they Manchester. do well they do well they do well i mean both those films i think made at least 50 million which but is pretty good amazon studios also had last flag flying right when you had three great actors and right. directed by richard linkletter and it didn't even make a million in theaters did it really not even make a million it did not that make is a million crazy in I mean that that to me is mind blowing. You have Brian Cranston, yeah, Steve Carell, and Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, and it, they all did really well. Yeah, it's a film. Though, Even word of mouth, it didn't. Nobody, no it one. didn't take, and that's that's okay because it feels a little more special to me. Cause I, I, <laughs> not you know a military film guy, but um, this one was really well done. But Spielberg does bring up a, a big point that when you have someone like Netflix, you're basically cutting out the small budget studio financed features yeah and i've always said that you know instead of one 200 million dollar movie give me 10 20 million dollar movies yeah and see what happens because i mean you think of a film like back uh when my big fat greek wedding sure came out and that was shepherded by uh tom hanks in uh-huh. a producing role. Oh yeah, that movie never hit number one at the box office when it was in theaters, mm-hmm. and it made like over two hundred million dollars. But it just stuck around. I remember that <laughs> because I mean, 
that was like the power of word of mouth when you had from person to person. Right. It's like, this is a very good movie. You should go see it. But would people go see that in a theater? I think if it has the word of mouth, though. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like, I think so. If it has the word of mouth, I think people will catch on. And I'm trying to think of a more recent example, but I, it's I tough. think a more recent get, example. Get Out? Get Out, yes. Yeah, Get Out. Because, I mean, it was very topical. And it's like, you are not going to believe this movie. You need right. to go see it. And that, and that you, the, I think really what that is told is that's really stinking hard to do. Yes. Because um, you have to make a film that is not only good and timely, but is also appealing. I mean, you know, it, it's it's tough to make a good film. I mean, it's got oh. and tough to <laughs> make mean, a good film. Tough to make film, period, is uh, Steven Soderbergh and what he has done <laughs> recently with the uh, Logan Lucky. Yeah, And yeah, now I Unsafe. Movie. I mean, he is basically getting these uh, films financed uh, by selling foreign rights to it to make the film. Sure. And when he was doing press for Logan Lucky, he's like, oh, yeah, I made this movie with uh, Claire Foy from The Crown called Unsafe, and uh, we shot in, like, two weeks on an iPhone. And yeah. What you hear that, and you're like, wait, what? Two weeks <laughs> on an iPhone? And, I mean, that's part of, like, the gimmick. Like, when you hear, it's like, it, I mean, if you didn't even know that it was shot on an iPhone, you probably would not care. But the fact that it's shot on iPhone is like, you know, that really interests me now, especially with Sean Baker and Tangerine. Oh, yeah. well, well, I was really pleased because usually if they do handheld camera, it jumps around and I get so nauseated I have to <laughs> leave. But I, I totally forgot this was mm-hmm. on iPhone. He kept it so still. He did. Not everybody could do that well with an iPhone. Yeah, he's <laughs> I a, think it would take a he's special a person. director. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at Logan Lucky compared to... Compared to this, it's, you know, he, he's always been a tale of two filmmakers himself. Oh, you yeah. Know? He's done, this is not, nothing new for him to experiment like this. And some of it doesn't work. And that's what I love about Soderbergh is that he's going to try it. And he's going <laughs> to, if, if anybody's going to, you know, Spielberg has his place and Soderbergh has his place where he's really trying to break new ground and really do it on a level that a lot of people aren't. And it was really sad that he retired for a few years because, I mean, Logan Lucky was really poppy and fun. And I- I'm curious if that did well in foreign markets. But um, I mean, it was basically Logan Lucky is like him making a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm thinking like maybe Europeans would be like, oh, wow, this is so quintessentially, um, you know, backwoods America. Like this is so kitschy and fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. Like, like I love the language of this. But film, I mean, if but. you go back to his earlier works, because I think, uh, you know, his breakout film, Sex, Lies, and uh-huh. Videotape, is you know, like a 4K restoration. Oh, my gosh. This year is the 30th Fascinating. anniversary. Yeah. Fascinating. And uh, I mean, from like traffic and the way he plays with sure. with colors and yeah. scenes like how the scenes in Mexico are, you know, bright and mm-hmm. go into Washington, D.C. They're very dark. And even in Unsafe, the way he goes from you know scenes that are shot outside to going into the hospital itself mm-hmm. i thought was very well done and i mean even though the story has some issues like where a woman believes she's being uh, stalked and she goes to this hospital and it's like going to only be for like 24 hour stay ends up being a week and then she sees her stalker mm-hmm in the hospital well that's the part i had trouble with uh i I just think he has something against the mental health profession yeah because he just totally distorted nobody could get admitted to a a mental hospital by simply saying oh i've contemplated suicide (laughs) because practically everybody has and if they say they haven't they're lying (laughs) and so and they would do much more so uh, 
I have a problem with this because people are always so ambivalent and apprehensive about mental health treatment and movies (laughs) like this don't help. So while it's logically flawed, it is very well shot. That's what we can say about Steven Soderbergh's Unsafe. Now, when we come back on the Crick Circle, uh, since we did not have a show the previous week, we will be talking about some movies that are still playing in theaters that might be worth your time, or you may just want to take a pass. So stay tuned for more right here on Radio Brave. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Courtright's Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713-WINDOWS. That's 713-WINDOWS. All right, more Critic Circle on Radio Brave. So we talked about the big releases, Ready Player One and Isle of Dogs. Now we're going to look at some films that are still playing in theaters, but we may not know how long. Actually, when you listen to this podcast, the movies may have already been out of the theaters. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, in between Black Panther and Ready Player One and Isle of Dogs, sometimes... You have to worry about uh, Hollywood because, I mean, the popularity of Black Panther, I mean, it was overshadowing even the likes of Tomb Raider. And even, I think it took Pacific Rim Uprising to finally knock it off the number one spot. Mm-hmm. But And you wonder how that happened to you. <laughs> it's because everyone in America had seen Black Panther. And they figured, oh, Guillermo del Toro won an Oscar for The Shape of Water. Let's um, oh, let's right. go see the sequel. Oh, yeah, he didn't like really write or direct it. He's just there in name only. <laughs> and he didn't seem to have much influence. And I think everybody who sees it agrees that it's a remake that should not have been made. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> the only thing I enjoyed about it was seeing the young girl building her own Jaeger robot uh, from stolen spare parts. Now, she's the only delightful, interesting character in the film. But that's about it. And uh, I remember one comment I saw that uh, one of our film critic colleagues, Regina Scruggs, had <laughs> written about Scott Eastwood. I think he's, she said like a cardboard cutout of Clint Eastwood had more personality. Yeah. I, let's just take this time to rail on Scott Eastwood. He is, <laughs> does not belong in the film industry. I mean, maybe not that far, but I mean, oh my gosh, he is just the most, he, he would be like bland man walking around. Like he's the most bland, milk toast looking actor to me of all time. It's like, there was an article a few months ago that was like, quit trying to make Army Hammer happen, which is really dumb because Army <laughs> Hammer's a really f- fine actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how I feel about Scott Eastwood. He's tall, he's handsome, he's got the jaw, he's got the perfect facial hair, and he's got the famous name. Like, stop trying to make him happen. Army yeah. Hammer is actually putting work into the craft. Um, Scott Eastwood has done nothing 
Absolutely nothing. He made a cameo in Gran Torino 10 years ago, which we'll probably talk about um, <laughs> being a 2008 film. But, I mean, look, Boyega, when you see John Boyega compared to Scott Eastwood, you just can see mm-hmm. the difference of, like, Boyega, <laughs> uh, the, the charisma that that man has right. compared to him. And, and, and in regards to Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim Uprising, the last thing I have to say is they completely waste um, Rico Kikuchi, who's um, people would know from oh, Babel right. and uh, Kumiko the Treasure Hunter, a really fine actor. Um, who I she's mean, she's hardly in it, and she was a big part it's of like, the What are you doing? <laughs> like, she is so <laughs> such an excellent performer. And even John gonna... Boyega, what he was given to do doesn't exploit his talents he's, at oh, all. Oh, he's Idris's Elba's son in the. Well, I want to see a movie with Boyega and Idris Elba. The thing is, they couldn't get Idris Elba because to come, <laughs> because yeah. look at the script. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Pacific Rim Uprising will be uh, given the boot by Ready Player One this weekend. Rightfully so. Now, top spot. Midnight Sun, I have no idea what this film is about other than it has <laughs> well, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son in it, Patrick. I can tell you it's way too precious. Way too precious. Uh, Saccharin, if you will. It, it, yes. It might appeal to teen, preteen girls, maybe. <laughs> I think that's who they were hoping mm-hmm. for. But I wouldn't even recommend that because it models feelings of shame about a physical illness. And it would be so much better for movie makers to have the illness illness dealt with forthrightly and demonstrate how feelings about it should be handled. Uh, It is noteworthy that the star Bella Thorne plays her own guitar and sings. That was impressive. I think she's a Disney star. Mm. Yes, she is. But (laughs) God forbid that anyone in this, quote, perfect story (laughs) would express anger, impatience, jealousy, and above all, grief. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you're talking about a major illness, but everything is oh so perfect, la la la. I, I just don't. I, I what I have no comment. A, about. A, as opposed to a movie I had mentioned on a <laughs> episode a few weeks ago, me my me Earl and the Dying Girl, oh. which features Olivia Cook from sure. Ready Player yeah, One. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, she's dealing with uh, cancer. Yeah, and that was more realistic. Oh, they also show this disorder. If you look it up on Wikipedia, the people have all sorts of spots all over their faces. She's absolutely gorgeous oh, of here. Course. Oh. She has no spots. Flawless. <laughs> Apparently, they did very into, uh, big research when developing the story for Midnight Sun. I just, I, I, I don't, it's just cringeworthy. It's pathetic. It's a pathetic film. I mean, it is, it, it's, it, it's the worst of movie making <laughs> in every sense of the word. But then again, you know, as a, as time goes on, you know, I start to notice these things more and I'm, you know, somebody should enjoy something out of it, but it's exactly. going to offer, just mm-hmm. I'm done with this movie. <laughs> like, now I may have to retract a previous statement I have said where, you know, if Horror movies and animated films are usually easy to make a profit because, I mean, mm-hmm. all you have to do is have a trailer. I mean, with animated films, you get that added incentive because you get that uh, mommy or family dollar as well. It's not just like yeah. one person mm-hmm. buying a ticket. It's yeah, like, not- oh, we got to buy two or three. Great. 
Yeah, but definitely. If it's like life, Secret Life of Pets, you're gonna take four people. Rather, if it's just me going to see uh, a film, it's just you know, like Death Wish or something. I'm just gonna make one, please. Right. Like, so <laughs> we have Sherlock Gnomes, and I'm guessing this is a sequel to Gnomeo and Juliet from a few years ago. Yes, it is. Is it really? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. okay. It, it, well, this is about gnomes who are disappearing from their oh, new home okay. in London. Uh, and Sherlock Gnomes mm. is hired to find those that are missing. But he has the help not only of his trusted Watson, but two gnomes who were not kidnapped who insist on being his assistants, <laughs> Nomeo and Juliet. Oh, so they okay, bring him back go. that ah, way. So you got James McAvoy, <laughs> right? And she is extremely annoying. Um, it's this is this is the movie that I contrast with the other one where they're trying to play to adults and children, but right. in this they sort of leave out the kids. <laughs> uh, the play on Sherlock's name and Romeo and Juliet characters, that's going to go over the kids' heads. In addition, there are adult themes such as complexities in relationships, <laughs> literary references, and details in the plot that don't speak to children at all. I asked this family in the elevator afterwards, I said, did you get that? Uh-uh. <laughs> all of them, even the mother. <laughs> I just noticed that it's Johnny Depp, oh, not James the, McAvoy oh, playing oh, Sherlock Gnomes. That's crazy. They, it does have a good cast, and yeah. they do well, but it's just a bad script. Chiwetel <laughs> Ejiofor is Dr. Watson? Like, yes. That seems great. Yes, yes. Well, it just shows that when movies are in the hands of higher-ups who don't have talent. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily work out. Actors can't totally pull off a movie all by themselves. The trailer showed like a a nun, I was about to say a nun. A nun. A a nun (laughs) shaking shaking his rump. But no, there's like a a gnome like in a G-string, like shaking like its ass, Claus. like yeah, oh. looking like Santa, like and I'm just like oh, yeah. shaking its little gnome butt. Once again, and they're like, playing more to adults than they are children. Now I remember Romeo and Juliet mainly because of the kid. vocal cast, because you had James McAvoy and Emily Blunt, yeah. and the fact that uh, Jason Statham was Tibble, which I thought was great. <laughs> Hearing Jason Statham's voice in an animated movie, it's like, hmm, I wonder if uh, he could do more voice work and where would we see his voice like i don't think like he would go to like pixar or anything like that but uh i'm sure some filmmaker out there was like you know i think i could use jason statham's voice for something (laughs) yeah uh, and nomeo juliet was a pretty big hit too if i remember correctly and so this one is i don't i haven't heard really much about it it's no it's not going to last this will be the last that i speak of nomeo or uh, sherlock Sherlock gnomes sherlock gnomes okay (laughs) Congrats, puns. Puns are just so, so wonderful. <laughs> now, speaking of puns, there is the death of Stalin, uh-huh. and uh, this is a comedic satire from the same filmmaker that did uh, In the Loop, I think, back in 2009, and he also created the HBO series Veep. Yes, and it's won many awards. Yeah, I think it got uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus her like record number yeah. of yeah. wins yeah. for like, yeah. acting. But uh, The Death of Stalin, it has a nice cast with uh, Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. Jason, Jason Isaacs was a standout for me in the film as the general. And you also had Jeffrey Tambor. And uh, there's some other well, Steve Buscemi Michael Palin. is, is Michael really Palin. good. Although you could not see him as Khrushchev. 
<laughs> they didn't have any of the actors speak with any but kind the, of a Russian semblance to yeah, them. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the idea of And he it. doesn't even look like him. So. I saw this movie at Fantastic Fest as like a secret screening mm. that they did, um, which I thought was a kind of a surprising choice. Um, this is definitely not my kind of film. Um, like I, I did laugh, but then when I got done with it, I was like... This to me, this movie is Armando Iannucci's work to me is like just very smug. It's, oh yeah, it's, it is very smug. And, and, and this, this is, is somebody more who satire loves, than it is comedy. Yeah, You're and, not, it's not a laugh out loud. Mo- yeah, movie. and this is somebody. I, this is coming from somebody who loves Wes Anderson. I understand my pretensions and my smugness as well, but it just to me seemed very. Mm, you look <laughs> at me. Uh, well, uh, the uh, thing that got me was juxtaposing and, yeah, Stalin's. Horrors again in a comedy with yeah. bureaucrats. Really, that that was kind of comedic to see them jogging <laughs> around for yeah. position during his death. Even he hadn't even died yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's a matter of taste. If you're if you're into historical things, I, which I'm not. Yeah. Um, I think that the film would work, but it, you know, I'll never watch it again. It's but gotten good reviews. It, people do love it. People but, do love it. Well, it's, some do and some don't. <laughs> I think most the mainstream people are not oh, going to like yeah, it. Go watch Jumanji. <laughs> go watch Jumanji for the fifth time. <laughs> All right, when we come back on the Critics Circle, we are going to go back in time. We may not have a DeLorean, but uh, when we go back in time, we're going to go to the year 2008 and look at the year in cinema particularly uh, the summer blockbusters, and see what was competing for Oscars that year. So stay tuned for more Critic Circle right here on Radio Brave. All right, we have survived another episode of the Critic Circle on Radio Brave. Just another quick reminder, you can find past episodes of the Critic Circle podcast on Google Play Music and iTunes and via the TuneIn app uh, just off the air. James Cole Clay brought to my attention that two Saturdays from now, yeah. we will be seeing a lot of each other as we will be watching <laughs> five movies back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> called Movie Can't Hullabaloo. Yes. It's a mystery movie tour, and this would be, I think, the fourth year yeah. they have done it, and yes. I've attended all. Nice. This is brought on by the Alamo Draft House here in Houston, Texas, by Robert Salcedo, Meredith Borders, and Alan Cerny. And I always have fun at those films because you never know what you're going to get, and they always leave me surprised and pretty much... Very happy. Well, we saw a really solid premiere last year. They showed Ingrid Goes West, the neon film, like four months before it even came out here in the States. And that was a pretty big deal for me. I mean, that was a really nice surprise. And, you know, last year, uh, Meredith showed uh, the Steve Martin film Roxanne um, with Daryl Hannah. And I'd never seen it. And that has become, <laughs> like, one of the most charming films I've ever seen. Um it was it's it's a blast. I mean, even if you get something that you're not a huge fan of, it the mystery of it. It's just so exciting. Yeah, it's a nice it's blast exciting. from the past yeah. because I mean, you know, you know, leading up to the re- release of Ready Player One, I've been going back and I've watched uh, all three Back to the yeah, Future films on the there. big screen. Heck yeah. And a few weeks ago I watched Real Genius with Val Kilmer, which I think is like, you know, out of all the 80s teen comedies, that's like my number one. That was at the Draft House, right? That was see, at the I missed draft that house. and War Games. Those <laughs> are the two. I really wanted to see the um, Real Genius because that Val Kilmer performance is really cool. That's like one of my most quotable movies of all time. It's like uh, when 
<laughs> Professor Hathaway, played by William Atherton, says, I'd like to see more of you. And Val Kilmer replies, okay, I'll gain weight. <laughs> Which <laughs> she did. And uh, blast from the past. So uh, leading up or uh, teasing this segment, going to the year 2008. You know, I figured that was a nice round number. It's 10 years ago. And we it's a good s- year, too. Well, kind of sort. I mean, I was going through the, yeah. the list of movies that came out that year, and I'm like, wow, has it really been 10 years since Iron Man came out? It has. So like, wow. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some stinkers. I mean, I would say the biggest ones that stick out to me are <sighs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is probably the most glaring. Hey, that gave, that gave us the new term, nuke the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Twilight, um, let's see, 10,000 BC, you know, Strangers, Fool's Gold, Prom Night. <laughs> High School Musical but, 3. But, like, okay, you have sequels that came out that year, but you also had films that were trying to establish, like, a franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, like, a film called The Spiderwick Chronicles. Yeah. And that was, like, a one and done. A film that I enjoyed that not many people saw that had that, like, little 80s feel to it was uh, City of Ember. It was that with um, oh my god! It's not Brendan Fraser in it, is it? No, Bill no, Murray. No. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. In yeah, but Brendan Fraser was in uh, Journey to the Center of the is Earth. Is that the same director? I don't believe. Okay, it, it, they just kind of have the same vibe to me for some yeah, reason. Yeah, the guy who directed City of Ember also did a Monster House. Oh yeah, right. That was good. That was good. Um, yeah, City of Ember. That one is gone from the world essentially. <laughs> I mean, look at so. how we're trying to talk about it. I'm like frantically looking it up. But. Uh, so when I Ooh, Ronan. described this uh, segment to Donna, she wasn't real sure how to go about it. But uh, I'm sure you looked at the year 2008, and there may have been a f- few films that stuck out to you. Oh, no. uh, I didn't look at it. Oh, way. you didn't look at it that closely? <laughs> no. Well, um, I, I will say I this. I looked at this year's, and, and I thought what you were trying to say is that this year's movies didn't measure up to the ones in 2008. Is that what you were saying? Well, I think so far this year, I mean, would have been the movies to talk about uh, Black Panther and... Um, what else? I mean, I, maybe an, I mean, I really enjoyed Annihilation and Paddington too. But uh, Annihilation was on my list. Annihilation as one was, that was really, really excellent. Good. But like when and you get Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs uh-huh. is up there. I and mean, I thought Love Simon was good too. That was good. It was as well as Ready Player One. I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's only the, the beginning of the year, but you look at some of the. I mean, okay. So for me, the biggest one of two thousand eight is The Dark Knight. Like, the lead-up to that movie was July 14th, I think it came out that year. I mean, it was it was huge. Heath Ledger had passed away. I mean, this, Nol- this Nolan movie that just looked like this epic... I mean, you hadn't seen anything like it. It, it. I just have not experienced something like that. Because, like, you have to think, like, when Iron Man came out, nobody was really expecting that. John Favreau had, like, directed, like, nothing, really, that had been... Nothing of huge, that magnitude. I mean, he did, magnitude. like, uh... He, what did he Made do? Z- Made Zathura... Zathura, yeah. Um, with Kristen Stewart. But, I mean, that that now, in retrospect, with hindsight, Iron Man is massive. But, I mean, there's lots of great I- independent work. For me, the biggest ones are Let the Right One In and Vicky Cristina Barcelona are films that I really loved a lot. It, there's a really big mix. Happy Go Lucky with Sally Hawkins, excellent film. Well, for the whole uh, the gaming aspect, when you think of Ready Player One, there's 
Slumdog Millionaire. Absolutely. Which, you know, at the when it came to the end of 2008, I had that as my number one film. But looking back, yeah. it, it really should have been The Dark Knight. Because, I mean, The yeah. Dark Knight basically changed the game when it came to the Oscars. It's like, oh, wait, you're not nominated. Um, okay, we're going to... Uh, we're going to extend the field of Best Picture nominees, so something like this won't happen. Yeah. And you can have up to 10 nominees now. It, I mean, look, Slumdog, though, is still... It's good. It, it is good. I mean, I rewatched it last year, and it, it doesn't have that vibrancy that it had when I saw it. And yeah. I was like, wow. Like, you know, I hadn't seen that. But it's so- noteworthy because it, it really showed us a poor Indian kid doing well yeah, and it, there aren't many movies like no that. and it I gave mean, us dev patel who has become yes. who has really proven himself to be true a really excellent actor mm-hmm. um, you know culminating with lion which i think he got an oscar nomination yes he, for, did. he okay. got a, a deservedly yes. so i mean geez so he's a he's a really fine actor and you know with all the talks of uh, representation and whatnot that has been going on um rightfully so I think he's such a great beacon for that in terms of like create having roles that are really solid um, representation that give these people um, who don't always have agency. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's a real champion actor. Uh, the year also 2008 gave us Cloverfield and director Matt Reeves, and he I think he is attached to do the next Batman project. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down for it for sure. Because I just love the stories that he he can tell. Yeah. Because yeah. he looks at like you know when he came on board to the uh, Planet of the Apes franchise, it's like it's not just about you know apes. I mean, you can tell different types of stories with these characters. Sure. And that's one of the reasons why I think the uh, the recent Apes uh, trilogy is so successful, is because the apes stayed the ch- the same. And the human characters change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you can tell different stories. The year also gave us, uh, you already mentioned Indian Jones and Uh, Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The first nail, I think, in in the then coffin of N. Night Shyamalan. Oh, my gosh. That (laughs) film is. Where the the film The Happening starring Mark (laughs) Wahlberg, I think you see every person that dies in the movie trailer when you watch it. It's like, okay, so what do I need to see in the movie? That movie was colossally <laughs> embarrassing. I mean. And, and then he followed it up with, like, The Last Airbender and After horrible, Earth. And it's like, okay, yeah, you need to go, like, sit on, like, the bench. And maybe yeah. you'll get a call in a few years from Jason Blum's like, hey, how about, you know, you come do a movie for, like, $5 million. He's and done two good ones, man. Two the, good ones, the I visit think. and Split. Yeah, Split being the, uh, the superior film. Oh, yeah. But uh, Split, I think, is a pretty, pretty damn good movie. Um, you know, you know what's kind of crazy is a film like we were talking about movies that I think I can't remember if we were on mic or off mic, but <laughs> films that would not get made today. Gran Torino. Mm. I yeah. mean, look at that character. I, I don't know. Um, you know, the Eastwood character was very racist. I mean, oh, super yeah. racist. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if he's like just trying to show like I want to know what went through his mind creating that character it's an it's a really well done film i really like that movie and but he did come around towards the he end he did come around so i mean 
I don't know. I, I'm curious what his. I'm gonna have to look that up. What his head? It was in his head. Like what prompted him to want to tell that story? Um, it seems to me it, it would still be topical. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It should be. It, it's a. It, that's a solid movie. I, I haven't seen it in a while, but in 2008 was also when they tried to experiment uh, bringing back a television property in movie form, and that was with the. Uh, Sex in the City, and it was a hit, and they <laughs> yeah, made a sequel. Yeah. But uh, you see, with the success of like Will and Grace on NBC, and most recently Roseanne coming back to air yeah. like twenty years later, I actually watched the first two episodes, and it wasn't bad. Of Roseanne, I, of Roseanne, yeah. I thought it was going to be like a train wreck, but you have these uh, diverging personalities with like Roseanne and her sister Jackie, and they got like the Republican and the Democrat mix, and the topics yeah. are always topical and. You know, especially the new character, Mark, the grandson, who likes to wear girls' clothing. And I think that is very resonant with today's... I, I want to see that show because I liked Roseanne growing up. All right. Well, oh, that's it. that does it for this episode of Critic Circle number 101 and many more to come. I want to thank James Cole Clay, Dr. Donna Copeland, our switcher, Bobby, the world's tallest producer, and, of course, Leonard Courtright, our sponsor of Allied Siding and Windows for making this all possible. I'm your host, Travis Lemons. Just to remind you, when it comes to movies, make good choices. Thank you. <laughs> this is Radio Brave. Keep listening. It gets even better. Now let's do it up. Ra- Ra- Radio Brave.